Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Overlap. I'm, of course, joined by Rian. We're talking everything football. I had a very depressing football weekend. Um, so, quite honestly, I don't really want to do this episode, but Rian has <laughs> categorically forced me into doing this. So, here I am. Um, did you have a better weekend than I did? I feel like any weekend, <laughs> anyone's weekend is better than mine. So, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised that you limited it to like a bad weekend. <laughs> like thanks. Kind no, of thanks. The... I'm, I, I was trying to focus on my short-term memory loss, but you made it significantly worse. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, Is it possible to end the... It's been 50 seconds. Is it possible to end the pods already? Shortest one. Shortest, shortest one ever. ever. Yeah. Um, Jeez. No, no. I mean, hey, at least you got a good American football ending, ending to your weekend. True. True, Eagles, right? uh, but it was it was not without like extreme nerves. <laughs> like why True. why can't yeah, any yeah, of our yeah. teams just just make us feel comfortable about <laughs> winning? It's ridiculous. They just uh, they don't know how. So yeah, I mean, I I had mostly a good weekend. Um, the leading into the weekend, I know I, I saw uh, "Don't Worry, Darling" on on Thursday, and I have already talked to you a little bit about it. But it <laughs> was. Didn't, so- I have to I have to preface you saying that by you saying you talked to me about it you were like so not happy about it I haven't seen you so apathetic towards anything in a while oh man no I it, it it's still like kind of annoying me <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm happy that uh that my girlfriend got the like Regal Unlimited cars so was yeah it was half price pretty much so it, that was the best part about that night. I saw it on Thursday, and and as I've said to Elias, it was probably the worst movie I've seen in theaters in a very long time that I can, like, really remember for a while. Um, I I'll I'll keep it very short, but I don't need to see Harry Styles <laughs> as act ever again. Like I I wouldn't even call what he was doing acting. So I I I don't need to see him on a screen on a big screen maybe ever again <laughs> unless he's doing music unless he is doing yeah. something musical he's extremely talented at that and he should stick to it so uh, you hate harry styles is what i took away from this part of the conversation <laughs> no no i like harry styles the musician i like <laughs> no the of musician. course like i like a good about i actually like a lot of his music yeah. but the actor he you know what someone i was talking to um that said that they liked him in dunkirk and i agreed he was yeah he was good in dunkirk but he had like six lines and that was perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like ed sheeran in game of thrones like yeah exactly <laughs> exactly like look you're you're a good looking guy and we just need you to kind of look steely for for an hour and, and say a few words. And Christopher Nolan knew the formula. He's like, I don't need this guy speaking more than, more than like six lines. That's definitely uh, how Christopher Nolan also approached that conversation with Harry Styles. Yeah, I, I don't need you doing more than like three things and you're good. So. It probably took the <laughs> and first, then you get a bag. The, yeah, all he needed to see was actually him try to act for a few minutes and he probably was like yeah i really don't need to write any more story yeah 100 so if you haven't taken away anything from our weekends i had a crap football weekend and rian had a very mediocre entertainment weekend we'll call it um and that was kind of our takeaways that's pretty fair right 
Yeah, yeah. The the that film really kind of brought down the entertainment. (laughs) 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 To be fair, okay, I will end on a positive note about weekend stuff. I went apple picking on Saturday. I think I told you this and baked an apple pie with some friends with those same apples that we picked and it was delicious like super super good and you know i have a massive sweet tooth and i only ate one piece and i regret not eating more it was one of the worst decisions i've ever made (laughs) wow that i'm not the biggest fan of pies but a fresh yeah you you unfortunately told me that yeah i roasted (laughs) you for it yeah but there's something about like literally going from what's what's the saying like farm to table uh, yeah 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 I, i'm i'm happy for you that not happy for you that you didn't eat as much as you wanted to but i'm happy for you that you actually end up making a good pie out of some i don't know i, I like i said not a big pie so i don't really know <laughs> how much it goes into it anyway but uh but i'm happy that it turned out well for you thank you I can I can always appreciate your happiness for me, so I'll take that. It's to just the, the texture. I just don't like the texture. If, if no, I get it. Wondering. I get it. I actually do because I used to hate pie when I was a kid, and then I, you know, grew up. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's that's absolutely not to get Rian. So you want to talk about what happened this past weekend in Europe? You want to start with our game of the weekend in the Premier League? Um, our Liverpool back because you basically called them down and out in the fight last weekend and Jurgen Klopp probably heard you and said what <laughs> I feel like that's what happened in the last like two no basically the last seven days uh well, well I want to rephrase what what I'm, I'm not there. rephrasing I shit I did, I, down and out we're talking about the title absolutely I'm still that's still 100% I don't see any route back for them to winning the title but um now this was an interesting week for Liverpool I think um going into this game where we've been so used to this being like a almost title challenge title decider like I don't know three or four times in the last few years right um this one very different right like Liverpool came into this one far more desperate than any other time that these two teams have played right um and you could kind of feel the tension going into this game especially from Jurgen Klopp's press conference on I think it was the Friday uh where he basically came out and not that not there's anything that he doesn't necessarily said before but he's but this is the first time he says he said it as explicitly where he just talked about you know um between like Manchester City he didn't name the clubs I don't remember if he named them specifically but I think I think he named City but I don't think he named any others he was asked yeah he was asked about why Liverpool were not competing for the title this season pretty much and and why and why they're so far behind um first place and or specifically, it was Manchester City who they were asking about, like comparing and comparing them to, right? Um, and his response was referencing that there are the three clubs in the world that basically have no ceiling; they're state-owned, right? And we know that the three clubs he's talking about: it's Manchester City, PSG, and now Newcastle, right? And 
he just kind of came out and said it. And and of course, this started a whole thing on Twitter because why would it not? Um, where <laughs> where obviously like a lot of people are either praising or if you're a Manchester City fan, we're we're having a go at Klopp. And uh, I mean, even I got into a disagreement, not a not an argument with my with my dad, who's this Manchester City supporter. <laughs> um, and it was just like the first time that I feel like we've not the first time that Klopp has said something about these types of clubs, right? But it's the first time that he's, I think, has been so explicit about like literally just saying as it is, like state owned clubs that that can do basically anything right so i don't know like what were your what were your thoughts about those those comments before we jump into the the game itself well i think i think the point that he was trying to make is very accurate right i don't think anything he said was inaccurate right the whole idea is that we don't have the same capital the same power that state-backed clubs do purely because they they're playing a different game essentially they it's not that they have an unlimited budget and can spend it on transfers i think what the critical piece here is that they will always have a leg up on clubs that do not have state owned or state backed funding and if you're competing with manchester city and you're liverpool for signing of, of a top top player city will likely win out nine times out of ten purely because they can always go the extra mile in a negotiation, et cetera. I think that's kind of the point that he was making. But when it comes to, I guess, maybe the success of Liverpool as it relates to City, I don't know if he was necessarily on the mark in saying that we can't compete. But again, I don't think that's the point he was making. I think he was making more of a financial point. But when it comes to actually on-the-field projects, yeah, most teams can't compete with City, but Liverpool have in the last five years. So I don't really know what he's complaining about other than the financial piece. Yeah, and and look, that's the other side to this, right? Like, it, it, in his point isn't true, isn't wrong. And on the other side of it, he is kind of deflecting from the fact that they, as we talked about a few times already, um, they made a huge miscalculation over the summer in terms of where they thought their squad was. Um, and then probably doesn't just limit it to this summer, but, but in terms of like long-term squad management, like they've like one example would be, they've never really replaced Gene Wijnaldum, right? Like they have never really replaced that type of player in their midfield. And then this summer they go out and spend a lot of money on, on Darwin Nunez, who has been mixed results so far. Has, has the highest XG per 90, by the way, you'll appreciate that. I know that of, uh, of 0.89 in the Premier League. Wow. Compared so, yeah. to ha- compared to Holland's 0. 0.85. <laughs> I love it. I love that. <laughs> like, like, it, it mixed bag because he's got that. And then you saw and you see like his decision making in the final third, like specifically thinking about that three on one that Liverpool had that could have sealed the game. That was horrendous. <laughs> you see him do that and you're like, wow, this guy is uh, he's he's really fascinating to me. I think he's gonna be really entertaining because the range is just there of, of the performance that he could put out. But um, but going back to, to Klopp's comments, it's just, again, like, he's deflecting, of course. Like, deflecting from that, his point is not false. Um, and then I think on the other side, like, if you're a fan of City, I, I, my message to you is embrace it. 
you're the villains like you that is who you are you can't really argue that you don't that you don't have the ultimate advantage over any other team um like even even Eddie Howe came out and talked about it this today too about Newcastle who said like there is a ceiling it's like yeah there's there's a, a ceiling for sure but as I said um to my dad like it's infinitely higher it's like yeah sure, sure yeah there is a stratosphere on this <laughs> earth like yeah it exists it's kind of hard to reach if you're a normal human being right without some help <laughs> like it, it's um I would just say, like, embrace it. Like, as someone who's a fan of Chelsea, I can't think of many other clubs that embraced the villain role, right? Like, Roman Abramovich came in and they immediately hired Jose Mourinho. They did not try <laughs> to be. They did not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did not try to be um, cute about it, right? And no. and so many Chelsea fans' responses over the years have been like enjoying that they ruined football like like yeah yeah not not and again not to admonish the bad things any of these teams owners have done right um but just saying from the fan point of view like like, people are gonna say that stuff about you and you can't really argue against it so don't get upset about it just like (laughs) Just accept it and move on. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like I saw someone on Twitter say today that like it, it would be so much, it would be so much less um, of a discourse if if like City's response to people to like this criticism was just, "Ha ha, you can't beat us." <laughs> like like if that like there would be there would be kind of less discourse than this and what we're seeing right now where City's owners i think are not not their owners specifically but city had come out and said that cops comments were borderline xenophobic like come on yeah what are we yeah, doing yeah. right now yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and i think Klopp actually had to respond to those which is just not yeah it's like, not it I, I don't know if there's much more to say on that yeah but anyway sorry sorry to to pull us away from the game itself no no i, I think it's still, that that's the important. first time i felt like this rivalry so much has been just like on the field stuff this is the first time I feel like it boiled over off the field. Yeah, and it definitely was because it largely the rhetoric and the narrative has always been around who's a better team, yeah, who's a better manager. But this is one of the first times where I feel like we had a boiling point. And it's like it's funny to think that there's just one person in the press out there that really just pushed Jurgen Klopp's button one day and the narrative <laughs> kind of shifted. But yeah. to get to get back to the game, though, one question I did want to ask you about was something that I feel like Liverpool have not necessarily thrived at in the last six months, which is their defensive record. They were pretty strong in, in this game against City. I'm curious how you think they actually were able to do that, because I said this to you before we started recording, like I thought Joe Gomez had a wonderful game. And this is now Virgil van Dyke's. 69th win maybe at home yeah like straight for Anfield like without a loss yeah yeah yeah, without a which is like how how did they (laughs) do that like that's a stupid amount of games to go without losing at home so anyway holding City to basically a clean sheet is very rare holding Holland and City to a clean sheet seemingly is also even more extremely rare. So what do you think was kind of the golden ticket for them? 
Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit on it. I mean, the big thing is holding is holding Holland for the most part very limited in terms of the chances that they um, conceded to him. This was the first scoreless game for City uh, in the Premier League this season, and only the second time in all competitions that they haven't scored. And crazy enough, in the league, this is the first time they've been held scoreless since March 14th against Crystal Palace. So. This was like it's a huge performance from Liverpool from a defensive side. Um, you wonder how much of that had to do with James Milner playing right back in that game instead of James Milner playing center mid and and you know Trent playing out on the right back. Um, Milner was obviously like more of a solid foundation defensively. And also, like I said, taking away from the midfield meant that the Liverpool didn't lose as many duels, like 50 fifties in in the midfield. Right. But um, sticking back to Holland, that was his second lowest XG total of the season. uh, Despite having his second most shots in a game this season. So I didn't know that. Yeah. The second most shots is interesting. You, I mean, the amount of times that we said there are going to be weird stat lines here, here mm-hmm. we are like two <laughs> months later. But I think the one thing, yeah, that you mentioned on the ball defending, certainly better. I think that was a, a byproduct of not having to have Milner run around uh, like a madman in midfield and essentially leaving that up to other people. I think when I first saw that he was starting as a fullback, though, like I was concerned. Like I was concerned, like, Pace for pace, him against some combination of Cancelo or even Phil Foden in transition, like that's that's a recipe for disaster. But he was well supported by his center backs. And basically that entire defensive structure in the midfield, like I thought I thought everyone was in lockstep, like everyone moved together, and that was really, really important for them. Yeah. Um in uh Red Michael Cox's recap of the game a tactical recap of the game and he kind of talked about how there was so little width in the game and like on both sides but specifically like from city's side um Foden obviously started out on the left kind of but we know he likes to drift inside a lot and city didn't really play um a left back we had Ake pretty much playing that position but I think it kind of turned into a three at the back with when they had the ball uh so they didn't really exploit that space very much like, they didn't exploit as much as they probably should have realistically and that's i think that's a key point they probably should have done that because that would have played perfectly into their hands and i think you would have stretched liverpool's back line like crazy and if in a foot race between any combination of de bruyne bernardo silva gunduan running in behind the midfield line of liverpool and into spaces f- between Liverpool's back line, like that's what they do every single minute of every single game. That's where they thrive. And I was surprised. I was equally surprised to see them not do that as much. Yeah. And, and when you don't do that, especially against Liverpool, um, it's hard. You make it hard to create those big chances that I think we've seen Liverpool concede a lot this season and, and what can happen to them even at their best, because they play that high line, which is susceptible to just to giving up, very like high chances and coming into this game Liverpool was allowing about 0.14 xg per shot which was 
the worst in the league going into this. But against City, that number was just about in in half. Um, it was like their it was their best defensive performance in terms of that that metric this season. And and as you were saying, the on ball defending was was much much better against Arsenal last week. They had a tackle success rate against uh, attempted dribbles of thirteen percent, and against City it was thirty five percent. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I didn't even, even talk. Honestly, like, didn't even know that was measured. <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that 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 day is all coming from FB Ref, which comes from Stats Bomb data. But that that was something that we kept talking about, right? The first month, first couple months, where the combination of Milner and or Henderson in the midfield, they were losing so many of those battles. They were they weren't getting they weren't tackling like they were trying to tackle. Yeah. And we're missing a lot of them or just 100%. simply being bypassed. Like, it, it it was much better for them um, this past weekend. Yeah. So at least my question to you, you are, you asked me this at the beginning, but how, how much is this win for Liverpool boosted your confidence in them? Well, I think it boosts everyone's confidence. Right. And if you, if you're saying that it doesn't boost your confidence, you're lying, but there is, I think, a relative scale to how down people were about Liverpool two weeks ago. Like, a lot has changed already in the last 14 days, and they've only played three games, including the Champions League uh, game in, in midweek last week. So, like, I always kind of felt like Liverpool could string together a run of games so long as they weren't overrun in the midfield. I didn't expect Miller to start fullback in this game. I didn't expect their lineup to look like this. Jota being out now for it looks like two months plus maybe could could really impact them. Yeah, but good, good but right now like it has increased my confidence, but like not by an extreme amount. It's not, but that's not because I don't think they're playing well. It's because I was never as I guess bearish about them before. I always kind of figure that there would be a spark that they'd be able to find a rhythm as they kind of always, like, especially last season, especially compared to last season. So yeah, I think they're fine. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think same with you. I think they're fine in terms of like top four. Like I, I'm still not ready to guarantee they'll finish the top four, but in terms of like being in that solely or um, firmly in that race, it, this team still on paper is at worst, at absolute worst, the third best squad in the league, I think. Yeah. Um. So they, again, it's all about the structure right now. My my one question is how sustainable is this when Trent, Trent is back playing right back, right? Um. How sustainable will this be? And it'll be interesting to see. Like we saw Salah play a lot more centrally in this game yeah. than we have in the last in the entire season, honestly. So um, we'll see if they stick with that. I mean, Firmino's kind of had a renaissance this season. So that's <laughs> that's helped them a lot. Like the amount of games there, his goals have, have been the difference between um, wins and losses or even yeah. just keeping them in games is, has been really important. So last question on this, Elias. Yeah. We saw Arsenal just barely get out, <laughs> get out of Ellen Road with a win against Leeds. This... Lights, lights on and off too. Yeah, yeah. After 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 what almost a forty minute delay. Yeah. Um, four points clear now. 
they they were going to play City this week, but their postponed, previously postponed game against PSV in the Europa League meant that they were not playing a Premier a midweek Premier League game. Elias, is it time to? And maybe maybe we've been late on this, but is it time to consider Arsenal as like a legitimate title contender to to City now? I'm not there yet. Uh, it's, I'll be very brief and very straightforward. Arsenal have had a wonderful season. Obviously, no one should be doubting that they are they are a top four team right now for sure. I am not ready to say that they're a legitimate title contender against City. Reason being. If I look at who City can supplement in their starting 11 right now without a, a basically a decline in um, talent, it, it's night and day compared to Arsenal. And that has always, I think, been a problem for Arsenal. But their bigger problem was that their starting 11 was not what it should have been, right? Just based on their historic standard. Once we get to February, March, and that part of the season, basically three, four months from now, post-World Cup, I don't know if Arsenal can keep up with the, the string of performances and the string of results that they've had. I think they're a very good squad. I think they're a young side, they're young side, they're talented, and they absolutely have the right players in some of the right positions. They just don't have enough, enough depth. Like, I'm sorry, but if two core players get injured right now let's say during the world cup or there before it they're kind of toast at least at least when it comes to t- to title contention i'll say i don't know what do you yeah. th- i feel like i feel yeah, like a lot I, of people I, would roast me for that but no I, no i i think i think the the depth thing is is my is the only thing holding me back as well um it's it's kind of something that is um what's I don't even know I don't know what the word or phrase I'm looking for but it's something that you don't know until it happens until like the issue arises and if you just kind of keep being like oh this is a thing that scares me and it never really arises <laughs> then yeah and um then you know what you then at some point you have to be like okay this is this is real um yeah. so uh, that's yeah same thing as only that's the only thing holding me back um the, the even even if you want to say they they got somewhat lucky over the weekend and and they did of course but um, you're not gonna completely outplay every team for 38 games in a season like no. that's just never gonna happen so they you need to pick up points like literally you just need to pick up points whether it's luck or whatever else or like whatever the reason is like you need to be able to pick up points when you don't play well and and I think that's what happened over the weekend for them and that. That's what has to happen if you're going to win a title. And that's the difference between this season and last season, right? Is they they did pick up three points against Leeds. Last season, they probably would have, as we saw towards the end of the season, somehow found a way to drop. That's the difference, I think, between a top four, top six side, probably a top four side, and most other mid-table sides. The difference, I think, in a title contender and any top four side is doing just that what they did over the weekend, but consistently. And we haven't seen that from Arsenal. So I'm not there yet with you. I'm I'm totally with you. Yeah. But again, this is not to take anything away from their start to the season. No, 100%. 100%. They are in first. They have 
they haven't even lost yet, right? They've no. been drawn. So, or have they even drawn? Or I, they they, they have drawn. They have drawn for sure. And I and, and honestly, I'm blank. You know, they did lose. Their only loss was to Manchester United. We got to that that a oh, game where they played well yep. and lost. So you know, yeah. it's it's um just the one loss though. Like like you said, there you go. Okay. Well, with that being said, do you want to move on and talk about your team a little bit? Uh, a game in which. I really don't know how you guys escaped <laughs> three points. I quite frankly, I just don't know. Um, tell me a little bit about it though. Like what was the difference between Chelsea winning and beating Aston Villa? And we should probably talk about Steven Jarrett in a second. What was the difference between Chelsea getting a win there and potentially just dropping points? Was it just purely down to Keppa and him making outstanding saves three times over? <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is part one of the flowers for this weekend, and and as you've already alluded to, is to Kepa himself. It was probably, at least in the first half, probably the worst that Chelsea have played under Potter so far. Um, especially the like the last half hour of the first half, where um, Aston Villa were just finding all the space especially on the wings and specifically in that Reese James sized hole that was left on the right <laughs> of Chelsea's um defense but Kepa himself was fantastic like the the triple save that he made in the uh I can't remember what minute it was and then the great save against I think it was Danny Ings header like those absolutely kept Chelsea in the game for the first half uh and Second half, they kind of righted the ship and didn't concede nearly as much to Villa and 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 you know uh, basically two Aston Villa mistakes more or less and and Mason Mount just being pretty ruthless <laughs> capitalizing on them or the difference between um, Chelsea and, and Villa and that makes it a start in every game since Potter was appointed for for Kepa um, six saves in, in against Villa clean sheet. And he looks like a guy who has completely regained his confidence. And, and more than anything else, I'm very happy for him, like from a mental point of view, because it was pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was it? The 2020 season or before Mendy. Before yeah. Mendy came in, it, it was pretty dark. Like, I, I was literally, we felt terrible for him so um really happy to see that it seems like his confidence is there again and edward mendy has been available to play for the last 10 days at least the last three games for chelsea and it's been a choice that kepa has started every game and oh honesty there's really no reason to make the switch right now um not to take not to take much away from from mendy who Funny enough, finished top five in the um, goalkeeper award at the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> ceremony. Uh, but I think a lot of Chelsea fans would tell you that basically since um, Senegal won AFCON, it's been pretty middling, um, pretty mediocre as a whole performances from from Mendy. Sold, so. sold his soul for the African competition <laughs> yeah. as uh, as some do for their, their international teams. But no, of course, that's a joke. But yeah, I think 
the other thing that I mentioned to you, I think the, a couple of days ago, there is also such a plethora of talent of Spanish goalkeepers in the Premier League and just generally abroad, like outside of Spain. I'm not saying Kepa is making his case to probably be in the Spain squad. I, I mean, he he probably uh, he probably will be, but then again, I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't. I I really don't know with yeah. with the amount of, of Spanish keepers that they that Luis Enrique like has to choose from right now. But his resurgence, I think, yeah, in this game, single-handedly won Chelsea uh, three points. I mean, he faced a total of, I think, 10 more shots than Chelsea had. <laughs> like, <laughs> Aston Villa had 18 shots and Chelsea had eight. So it, it was truly night and day. But the one aspect that I took away from this outside of just the Villa game is... If Keppa can save Chelsea single-handedly six to seven points this season, that could be enough to to push you into the top four. Could be, could be. Yeah. I still, oh, yeah, I still absolutely. maintain Chelsea are not going to finish top four as I predicted at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. but that could genuinely go a long way. Yeah, and and I think Chelsea are going to need it because I th- I still think there's a f- this team is flawed in in um certain aspects which we will. Sure, I'm sure a game will come up that will make <laughs> me have to talk about it more on this on this podcast. But, um, but yeah, you're right. They're going to need big performances from their keepers this season. I think so. Hundred percent. Well, you wanted to talk about the other gift of flowers that you wanted to bestow on a, upon another team. Tell me about it. I have a feeling it has to do with a team that about six weeks ago we probably were saying, well, they. They are definitely going down slash might tie or break the record for lowest number of points <laughs> in a Premier League season, essentially. Uh, yeah, so we're speaking about Bournemouth, who, I mean, pre-Scott Parker firing, really felt like just a copy of Norwich from last season. <laughs> You're just like, oh, okay, Bournemouth's coming to town. Three points, easy. charity, <laughs> yeah. charity. Like, yeah. like that was that was really Norwich last season. Um, but you know, ever since that nine nil loss to Liverpool, which was the I believe it was the final game of, of Scott Parker's tenure, um, they've been unbeaten in six games. Uh, they they picked up a two two draw against Fulham this past weekend, put them into tenth in the table. Um, I mean, there was like a week or so, at least a week or so, where they were above Liverpool, <laughs> the team that had beaten them 9-0. Um, but yes, 10 points in those six unbeaten games and all under their interim manager, whose name is escaping me right now. I should know this. But um, 10, 10 points in six games, fantastic for Bournemouth. And um, it was like a team that, by the way, Gary O'Neill, thank you. Thank you. Um <laughs> Yeah, 10, 10.6 games, and, and that's huge for them. I'm not saying that, A, they're all good now. They're not going to get pulled into a relegation scrap. But, you know, looking at, um, I believe it's like Nottingham Forest, uh, Leicester, and Wolves, who are the other teams down in the bottom three, um, two of those teams you would expect not to be in that position for too much longer, but... Uh, who knows um it's really good for Bournemouth to at least like stack these points 
and 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 keep moving themselves at least like, even if it's marginally away from that zone and and these points will matter so much at the end of the season so flowers to Bournemouth 100% and the other thing that I'll mention is like from a mental standpoint being able to pick yourself up after your manager gets fired and there are a lot of new changes that in and of itself is just hard to do so you have to give yeah. points where they're due yeah um, the players of course yeah. 100 for, like to the players specifically, yeah and, and not just the uh, you know gary o'neill as we quite literally just remembered <laughs> but <laughs> um yes that's that would be my only point i do i do have to shift towards disappointments for the premier league because i feel like there's a a team that somehow jesse lingard now plays for that <laughs> has not maybe they are sitting exactly where we all kind of thought but maybe not where we all wanted if that may do you, you get what yeah. i mean I, I i absolutely get what you mean and and elias is talking about nottingham forest who drew today as of recording this um drew today against oh it's escaping me right oh brighton oh brighton. it was another classic brighton yeah, performance. yeah, yeah. you can take the man <laughs> you can take the potter out of the team but they still played the same, dominated, and couldn't even hit the net on hit the uh, target on most occasions. But a good point for not enforced today, but lost one nil against Wolves in what kind of felt like a early season six pointer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and, and still sit bottom of the, or actually moved up to nineteenth after today, but um, six points I believe after ten games now, uh, and. The big thing from last week is that they fired their head of recruitment and chief scout, <laughs> who both collaborated on making 23 signings this summer. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's a big I, brain move, depending on where you're looking at it from. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, it's, I, it's really hard to incorporate that many players into a squad at once, right? And very possible that maybe after the World Cup, where you know you don't you expect a lot of these players not to be playing in the world cup right um maybe that's the time that they actually start that whole month is going to probably be great for them to actually meld and and maybe uh find some rhythm when they when everyone comes back from the world cup but it's a pretty big disappointment that's those are two major major sackings after what is it what do you think that means though for them like what i'm trying to truly understand the justification behind this do you do you think it's more of a political scapegoating thing or because i also don't know okay because i I don't know i think i think that's a big part of it obviously yeah yeah, yeah. like those like those guys are were instrumental in in making those signings but of course the people above them who are involved in firing them like (laughs) I mean, they gave the green light to do something like this drastic. So it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like these, these two are the meat shields for someone else. Right? Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, well, not a great way of looking at it, but the right <laughs> way of looking at it. Um, lastly, Rian, before we take a break, what are you most, most looking forward to? We're obviously recording this on a Tuesday, today's Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday yeah. night. Um, we've got some big games at the midweek and, at the weekend so tell me about what you're most looking forward to 
and why Chelsea are somehow going to manage to lose to United this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's a big week for United. Like they have Tottenham tomorrow. Um, United have played very well outside of the, outside of against City. Um, United have played actually quite well against Liverpool and, and Arsenal against like the better teams this season and following basically the same formula that they played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, where sit deep, find something on the counter. Um, the problem with playing Tottenham is that they're also going to want to sit deep and find something on the counter. So this could be a very, very poor game. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, like you know, Ten Hag in theory wants to have the ball. But in practice, um, he has to play at least one of Bruno Fernandez or Scott McTominay. Oh, so what a terrible place to be in. <laughs> so keeping the ball is going to be tough. But um, that, that, that game should obviously be interesting. And then um, then United goes to Stamford Bridge on Saturday to play Chelsea, who who for Chelsea, it's been a very bogey-esque team, United, where it's like they play, for the most part, a lot of these games very well and do something very stupid or something stupid happens from a refereeing point of view and and Chelsea (laughs) find a way to draw or lose the game. So um, that one should also be a great one. And, And it'll be, for Potter, the first, you know, big six big game um since since he's joined Chelsea I mean obviously they played Milan twice in in Champions League so those are huge games of course but um from a Premier League point of view first big matchup for for Potter so that's exciting as well definitely definitely I'm very excited to see how Chelsea play um against United like that is probably my game of the week outside of United playing Spurs and that's largely because these are two coaches that are just relatively new to their jobs. And it's not like Conte is new to the Premier League by any stretch of the imagination. So <laughs> yeah. that's less of an interest, but it's more so how do they set up? How do they handle all of this? Right. Not to say it's much more pressure than they faced before. One was in a Champions League semifinal and the other has been in the Premier League for a couple of years. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's a pressure thing. Just now it's just different. If you're playing with two different teams, it's somewhat unfamiliar. I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Expectations, much different. Expectations are much different, 100%, except for United. But yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> another day. With that, Rian, you want to take a break? And then I can rant about a certain Catalonian team. <laughs> Absolutely. Beautiful. All right, BRB. I can't tell you how much I don't actually want to do this, but like, you don't like, I know I'm talking about it hyperbolically, but like, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're, we're talking about La Liga. We're talking about La Classico. And I'm sure there are about five to 10 of you right now out there in the world listening to this that are absolutely going to love hearing me be sad, pissed off and annoyed about this team. So for those haters out there, this one is for you. Rian. This past weekend, Barcelona lost the Classico 3-1 in a game in which at no point did they actually look like they could win this game. Felt like the draw against Inter just drained them mentally, emotionally. It took its toll. And um, 
I never felt like they had control of this game whatsoever. So where do you even want to start with this game? I, I can tell you everything about the stats and whatnot, but just, you tell me where you want to start and we'll go from there. I, I think I, I want to start from kind of the, the lead up to this game, right? It, it obviously coming off the back of that disappointing draw against Inter where we saw a lot of the same flaws that I feel like we saw at during last season for Barcelona and and really the last few seasons, right? The, as you say, lack of control with, with and without the ball, right? Especially like specific, also like with it is a big one where as soon as they lose the ball, we saw it against Inter, like specifically for those last two goals that Inter scored, right? As soon as they lose the ball, there's so much space for the opposition to run into. And there is a lack of, for lack of a better term, athleticism to get back and cover those spaces. And you you say control, but even like poise, I'd yeah. say, like from, from the defenders themselves, where everything looks very panicky when when um the opposition is running at them and far less um again just keep using the word control in terms of like yeah. managing the spaces right that they're allowing opposition to get into and, and i think we saw it saw it against inter and it didn't seem like any of that was fixed going into the the game against um madrid and we saw a lot of the same flaws that i was 100 my question to you is like would you would you agree i couldn't agree more I like what you said about this being more of a tactical flaw and a structural flaw than it was just, you know, oh, here's a, a penalty that should have been a penalty or a foul that should have been a penalty. Like, forget all that for a second. Like, I really don't care about that. I'm not even going to talk about any of that because it's not really relevant. It never felt like Barcelona had control of this game because they didn't. And when we talk about athleticism, when you talk about that, there was a moment in the first half that I think encapsulated it very well maybe it was it was early in the second half there was a point in which Pedri receives the ball deeper in the Madrid or I should I should say closer to the halfway point than the Madrid final third and he goes to turn and usually when he turns and he faces that inside left channel there's an overlapping or progressing left back run or somebody making that run into the wide areas no one was making that run and I remember there being a moment where he kind of just paused and went, like, is no one going to run into that space? <laughs> like, you could see, like, his gears trying to figure out, like, what, what just happened. And I think that encapsulates this, game, encapsulates this game perfectly. There seemingly was no real structure that, I don't want to say Barcelona had in mind, but could execute on. It felt like the spaces were not being taken advantage of. Everything was slow and lethargic. There was at one point... Luka Modric was walking to defend because either some combination of Pedri, Dembele, right, the creative outlets in the scene would face a wall of four and then a potential another wall of four and just started passing more horizontally than they would vertically. There was no movement. There was no interchange. No one wanted to find and help find space for each other. And that was embarrassing. That was the most embarrassing part is that no one really felt 
uh, no, it didn't look like anyone really felt like they wanted to make a change until a combination of Gavi, Ferran Torres, and Asifati came on. That started to open things up, and there was that element of athleticism. But I do want to, I want to, I'll end this thought on this point, Rian. This, I think, was this game was one of many, many moments in which there's so much evidence for the need for a changing of the guard from the old guard to the new. Who was responsible for the first goal that Kareem Benzema scored? <laughs> Sergio Busquets and probably Sergio Roberto, right? Who was responsible for the second goal in letting Vinicius just absolutely have a field day on the left-hand side? Sergio Roberto again. Who was responsible last week for a lot of the defensive mistakes with Inter? Gerard Piquet. And lastly, this game ended with Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto as the two fullbacks for this team. (laughs) What does that tell you? It tells the four captains, the four captains of the team that I just mentioned, all were problem childs for the last two major, major games. And the, the players that I just mentioned, Atsufati, Gavi, um, Ferran Torres, right? Even Pedri in some degree. They're, they're the new light that this team now has to rely on. They're not the ones making the mistakes as much. And if they do, they're young. They're literally teenagers, if not early 20s in the case of Ferran Torres. So... Yeah, I gave you a lot of thoughts, but no, you know. no. yeah, I, I no, I think you hit on it. Like my surprise at seeing Jordi Alba get subbed on in the in the second yeah. half. <laughs> we kind of turned or, to each other and went, "Wait, what?" I, I, I just, <laughs> just, I, I really don't understand what was the point of it. But, but again, you, you kind of hit on it. The the players that all of those players you just named were on the pitch when. Barcelona lost eight nil eight one to to Bayern. Like those players still are having such an impact in this team. Granted, PK played out of injuries, of course, right? Yeah. But but the point still stands. Like he <laughs> he probably shouldn't be on the team anymore. Or in the least, he <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be in any position to start um, in even an emergency, right? Uh, so it, it was. Uh, really tough to watch i think just like some of the especially in inter against yeah, inter, yeah, some yeah. of the defending was just like you i mean optional it was genuinely optional from pk if you're thinking about the barella goal and then um this it, past it, weekend, like, like like act, that is the definition of optional <laughs> like he chose actively not to do it <laughs> uh but I, I think um just to shift it to the madrid side you kind of touched yeah. on it they didn't really have to strain themselves to win this game no they didn't and and i wonder i wonder at what point in the second half that mentality shifted because if that third goal from cream benzema in the early on or the early portion of the second half had counted Mm -hmm. i I think we could have seen a scoreline of four or five it's possible but i think at that point Real Madrid realized, oh, when we want, we can kind of pick and choose our moments but whether it's subconscious or not i have a feeling some of those players were thinking about the world cup some of the injuries that they've seen and probably saying if we're going to likely win this game and get three points, like let's just take it and move on to the next thing because there's no point risking, you know, potential severe injury and missing the world cup. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, And and Madrid already at, as is, and like kind of the way they play, they don't try to open themselves up unless they absolutely need to. 
right? So like kind of the way that they play is they they seem to conserve a lot of energy as is. And and once they go up one or two goals, like they can really kind of cruise without the ball. They're very good at just yeah. being being very comfortable without the ball and not exerting a lot of energy and basically just uh, existing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and just saying, all right, when we get the ball, we've got, we've got a couple of world-class passers that it's not going to take long between them and, and the world-class dribbling ability of yeah. like Vinicius <laughs> and, and Rodrigo uh, and obviously the world-class finishing from, from Benzema. They know that it doesn't take a lot of energy or a lot of actions for them to, create a really good chance so 100 percent, it's something that'll probably benefit a lot of those players who are going to play at the world cup so yeah it's a good point yeah and the last thing i'll say is statistics don't always tell the story if i were to tell you that barcelona had an xg of 2.3 and real madrid of 1.4 when real madrid had a penalty that includes the penalty (laughs) xg you would have said oh barcelona dominated this game but in reality it it was not close it really was not. And from, I don't know what the expected threats look like. I can tell you that from an expected threat standpoint, Barcelona probably still were in favor just as a byproduct of how the game ebbed and flowed. But I can only think of two clear cut chances for them this entire game. One was that Lewandowski miss, which we all were like, how did that, how did that actually happen? And then the second was Ferran Torres's goal, which was just tapping at that point. So yeah, I um, I'm disappointed in this team, and I'll go I'll go back to the la- last question about the Clasico. Do you think I was right in saying that October could actually end Barcelona's season prematurely now? Like, do you see because because think about their next three games now: Villarreal, Bilbao, and Valencia are their next three games in the league. Those are three, un- and and that doesn't even include the Bayern game that they have to win regardless yeah. of what happens with Inter versus Pilsen. Yeah, it, it, I I understood what you were saying. Now, <laughs> I, I think I think from a league point of view, I I don't think that they'll be so out of it from like a winning the league point of view. But you know, from Champions League, you're right. Like 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 that, the draw to Inter, it's not mathematically killed them, right? Yeah. Like, um, like Inter themselves, Inter fans would tell you themselves that they could fuck up in the champions league very easily they've done it kind of a lot over the last yeah. few years um but even so you'd, you'd expect them to win that match against pilsen um and then when you think about versus upcoming la liga opponents you just named three very physical athletic teams and we've yeah. seen what has been really difficult for barcelona to deal with especially in the midfield um this season is the athleticism of, of their opponents so those are going to be three extremely difficult games. So I, I, I could see where you, where you didn't feel good about how this October could go. Yep. I, that's, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'll leave you with this thought. This, I think, is the difference between Barcelona and Real Madrid this year in La Liga. Throughout, through eight games, outside of the, the Clasico, not including it, through eight games in La Liga this season, Barcelona's XG per shot conceded. 0.09 Real Madrid's xg per shot conceded 0.06 that is the difference between being in in Barcelona's case the 65th percentile and Real Madrid's the 99th percentile that's the difference and 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 yeah. that is still a Barcelona team that going into the Clasico only conceded one La Liga goal 
So if that statistically keeps up, they're not they're not feeling great about that. So <laughs> I digress. Let's move on, shall we? Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about surprises, uh, huh? the surprises. Yes, I want I want to wrap up with the surprises and disappointments in La Liga. Um, Atletico Madrid actually playing somewhat well this past weekend against Bilbao. Beating him 1-0, winning 1-0 with an Antoine Griezmann goal, um, him netting the winner now that he is officially a fully licensed and owned (laughs) player of Atletico Madrid. He did, in fact, start this game. And like I mentioned, the winner. The interesting thing about this is I think there were two things. One, the surprise for me, or there are two, but the first one was Griezmann and Morata starting up front is actually a very good starting front two. And if Atletico go back to the style of playing a 4-4-2 that I think they probably should, and Simeone is slowly realizing throughout the season, this could be a really, really good attacking duo going forward. The starting striker for Spain and the starting striker for France. That's that's pretty good. Um, well, I'll say not starting striker for France, but forward. You know what I mean? So with that being said... This is probably Atletico's best duo, which kind of begs the question of what happens with Xiao Felix. You either sell him or sack Simeone. It's I feel like it's one which or the is other. never happening, right? Which is like the, the latter is never happening. <laughs> no, it's not. So I think this just puts Xiao Felix in a really weird situation. You've seen that he's not been happy with where he is. He's like visibly been upset about all of this. So that's one surprise to me is Griezmann and Murad's actually being a good duo for each other. The second was in the post-match. I don't know if you saw this, Rian, but Griezmann kind of apologized to Atletico Madrid fans for the first time. He apologized. He said, like, I'm sorry for not just, like, leaving, but more so for doing the whole documentary stuff, like, being really, like, overly dramatic about the whole situation. And he was, like empathetic for the first time which was new um <laughs> for everybody i was just genuinely conf- like confused by he basically said like i'm sorry for the hurt he caused by leaving the club and um not something i thought i ever ever would hear him say the man was really on like an odyssey for a couple <laughs> seasons there right like the it was the Barca move was weird um and then obviously his his place in that Barca team was weird, didn't really make sense. Um, so yeah, it's been a weird what three years from him, really. Like I, it's such uh, his career is very very weird for like this stretch of it, the last three years, and then who knows what happens for the next couple of years before he um, as he as he gets closer to the end of his career, but. The barnstorming, like first six, seven seasons that he had, especially like that from how he broke onto the scene at Sociedad and then being like a perfect embodiment of a player for a Diego Simeone team, yeah, um, as he was for those years, only to then go to Barcelona, which is very un <laughs> Diego Simeone. <laughs> um, it's been a, it's been an interesting career from him, but but happy to see that he's back with Atletico. And that game was just that was heritage like Atletico <laughs> under under Simeone, uh, one shot on goal and a one nil yep. winner 
after after having so little of the ball. Um, just like quickly on the Jao Felix point too, as well. Like he's, I mean, I need to check how many years he has left in that contract. I think it's I it's, it's got to be at least three years, years at yeah, least yeah, three yeah. left, right? So, I I don't know what to tell him. Like like this is it's there's no easy way for him back into the team. Like maybe he plays out on the left, but Simeone really likes Thomas Lamar in that position. Um, I don't know what the, what the out is for him. I, maybe it is in the summer, but you got to imagine Atletico is going to want a lot of that money recuperating that they paid yeah. for him. Right. And I just don't see how, I don't see who is willing to pay maybe anything more than like 70 million euros maybe for for Joao Felix at this point because you the counter argument is that you know how much has he really gotten better one and two yeah. how much has he really shown like from a consistency point of view um which granted can't blame it all on him but um but from that point of view, like when you're talking about spending 70 million euros, or, which I assume might be the minimum that they asked for from him, um, I just don't know how you can justify it right now. I 100% agree. And his contract, to answer your question, runs until June of 2026. So not great. Not great. I, I think he's in a tough position. Um which is a great transition to our disappointments, by the way. Not that my my disappointments are around Jao Felix, purely around Barcelona. That's all I have to say. Um, we'll see if those disappointments continue. Is yeah. the only comment I'll make. I'll, last... I'll, I'll be disappointed for Jao Felix. I'm disappointed for him. <laughs> okay, fair. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Someone should and has to be disappointed on his behalf because that's a lot to carry. But the last thing I'll say is the one game I'm looking forward to this weekend is Real Madrid probably absolutely bodying Sevilla uh, this weekend at home. I believe they're playing at the Bernabeu. That is going to be uh, a bloodbath, as they say. Uh, so they Sevilla played Valencia today, barely squeaked out a 1-1 one, one, one draw, excuse me. And um, yeah, I don't have high hopes for them against Real Madrid unless a miracle happens. So that'll be fun. Right? There you go. <laughs> for someone. For someone, yeah. For someone who's a Madrid fan, it totally will be. So I think that's all I've got. Anything else you got? No, I think that's it for me. Um, we we got midweek games, but uh, Atletico, or not Atletico, sorry. Uh, Champions League comes back next week. Next week, yep. The World and Cup just, is slowly but certainly creeping yeah, up on us. Um, pedal to the metal so, right now for, for the club for club um, games until we go into that hellscape that will be the Qatar World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's definitely one way to put it. So <laughs> anyway, with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back soon after these round of midweek games and weekend games and Champions League games next week too. All of that coming up. Uh, we'll be back maybe with a video podcast for our next one. So stay tuned. Thank you as always. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys.